You're listening to Enclave Community Church. For more information about Enclave, please visit us online at enclavecc.com. Our passage this morning is Exodus 13, verses 1 through 8. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days, no leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt." Father, we thank you for this beautiful fall morning. We can come together and worship you, spend time with fellow believers. Lord, we pray for those who aren't here. I know there's some sickness and other things going on, Father. Just be with the ones who aren't here, Father, and just bring them to us safely again. Father, be with Dad today as he preaches to us and open our ears and our hearts for what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Enclave. Got mighty quiet in here all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, it's my privilege to be taking uh, Andrew's spot here this morning behind this pulpit. Lectern, uh, just pray for him. I communicated with him a little bit this past week, obviously, and uh, he said on Tuesday, he said he wasn't feeling very good, wondering if I could fill the pulpit. I said, yeah, I'd be glad to do that after a little bit of thought. And then on Wednesday, I sort of landed on what I was going to talk about. By the way, my name is Tracy, in case you don't know. I landed on what I was going to talk about, so um, got that pretty much ready. And then uh, last night, <clears throat> I decided maybe it'd be a good idea for me to look at, to listen to Andrew's sermon on the 5th when he preached here. So I found it on YouTube and I listened to it and um, I was blown away and I hope you might be a little bit blown away by the fact that we're in the same lane. Uh, it wasn't planned that way at all. Um, I'm, I'm coming out primarily of the Old Testament today and he was obviously in Acts. But we're going to talk about some of the same stuff and um, that was a God thing. So I don't know what to do about that. I just uh, I praise him for that. So we're going to be looking here in Exodus at um, some scripture. We're going to go through several scripture actually in the Old Testament where it talks about concerning the journey that the children of Israel made from Egypt through the land and into the promised land. And I've always been captured by that whole scene and program in the scripture because I like to think of it, and maybe I'm weird, which I probably am a little weird, but... I like to think of it as a spiritual journey that we all take, okay? <clears throat> we're all on a spiritual journey. And if you're in this room today, you're on a spiritual journey. You may not know exactly where you're at in it, and maybe you do. And we're going to talk about that <clears throat> spiritual journey that 
they made, well, for them it was actual literal. They were making it literally with their feet and walking for all those miles. But the spiritual journey that we have passing through the wilderness kind of looks like that probably, maybe a little more desolate than that. On our way, hopefully, at some point into the land of Canaan and what that means for us. So that's where we're headed, and uh, hopefully we'll get there. But I appreciate your prayers as we look into the scripture here and what we think the Lord's laid on our heart to share with you. Uh, We're not going to talk about the Passover, even though it was in that chapter, the beginning of it anyway. But what we're we're most concerned with, again, is the journey that we're taking. So we'll talk more about that than we will the Passover. However, obviously the Passover was a very important event uh, for them, and they were on their way out shortly after that. But it's just this idea that where where we're going, where we're headed, and we're just going to take a look at that as a spiritual thing, a spiritual type, if you will, of uh, Egypt being being a land of burden, being a land of uh, bondage, being a land of sin. Egypt in the scripture is always a place of sin and bondage. And God's desire for his people then as now was to leave that. If you look in the book of Exodus, if I remember correctly, I looked it up one time, uh, the phrase or the wording that accumulate to where it says out of Egypt. It was important for him to get them out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of sin. That Some grouping of those words will occur about 36 times alone in the book of Exodus. So it's important to him, it's important to us that we pay attention and see, uh, you know, where this is going and where we might be personally in that journey. And, um, you know, you can, you can hopefully, the Lord will work on your heart and spirit and maybe give you some idea as we pass through some of these scriptures. We'll just go back for a moment in Exodus 13, 3. Moses said to his people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt. There's our phrase. Remember this day when you went out of Egypt to the house from the house of bondage, for by the strength of the hand of the Lord has brought you out of this place. And then no leaven bread, that goes back to the Passover. And as important as that is, that's not our main push. Again, we're talking about this journey that they're on. So um, God's heart is to get his people once again out of Egypt. And he's doing that. And then in Hosea, we find out in Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1 that, that God called uh, Jesus out of Egypt. So he was down there. You remember the story. He went with his parents. And isn't it interesting? We talk about Moses here a little bit. And we'll do that. But this was foretold um, in Matthew 2, 5. That he, was, he had come out of Egypt. He had called my son. And then... Uh, You remember the story as they're going along, they faced all this difficulty and they were challenging Moses. They came to the Red Sea and they said, what are we going to do? You know, the Egyptians are behind us, the seas before us. And and what a difficult situation they found themselves in. I mean, can you imagine? Here you are, you know, you're following this guy out and um, what's going to happen to you right here at this point? Uh, And in chapter 14 of Exodus, we read this in verse 11. And they said to Moses, because there were not enough graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt, up out of Egypt? So they're 
already they're starting to wonder after they get out, what's this all about? You remember all the things they went through, the plagues and the, the blood on the lentil and the Passover and all that was so important to them. Now they're out here and they're wondering what's going to happen to them. And I suppose we would be too. Yeah, if you had left everything you had known before and you're following Moses, who was obviously God's appointed, but you know, there's this a little side road right here, like, like Andrew's been talking about through, the, through Acts. Uh, these people have always had a history of rejecting their leaders. That's very true. He made that statement, and it's just so true. And we see it even here in maybe even more a little different light. Um, so he says in 13 of chapter 14, And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. He will accomplish for you today, for the Egyptians, when you, when you see today, you shall see no more. And the Lord will fight for you and, you, and you shall hold your peace. So he's trying to give them instruction and what's going to be happening. And uh, sure enough, you know, um, they did. They got through the Red Sea. And, and, they were, and when they got over there, they were so happy at first. Uh, in verse 21 of chapter 14, we read this. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the Red Sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided so that the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry land, on dry ground, and the waters were as a wall to them on their left and on their right. Now, can you imagine what that must have been like? Uh, here, you know, before they said, okay, there's, there's not enough of, enough of us buried in Egypt, so you're taking us out to get us killed in the land. There's the sea. What are we going to do? He said, stand still, and then waters part down there in 21 and 22, and they pass through on dry ground. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I don't know if I could ever forget that. Uh, I think that would be a very hard scene to forget. I, I like to think about the little kids walking through the water, Okay. Uh, the little children passing through those walls of water. Do you think they walked, they walked up to it and stuck their finger in the water? I know mine would have. I suppose yours would have too. What's this all about? What is this? What's happening here? So that's the story. They got out over there on the dry ground and they were so happy. And any of us would have been. And in chapter 15, and we're not going to go spend much time there, but they are having a virtual worship fest in chapter 15. They are so excited. They're saying all kinds of tremendous things. Uh, like in, um, at the end of, of, towards the end of verse one, I will sing to the Lord for he hath triumphed gloriously. <laughs> the house of the Lord is ruler, is his rider and is uh, thrown into the sea. The Lord, my strength, my song and has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man the Lord is a man of war. The Lord has his name, Pharaoh, chariots, and army has cast into the sea. He's chosen captains into and drowned in the Red Sea. So they're just having this virtual uh, worship fest. And we would agree, amen, they ought to be. That's a tremendous thing. They're praising him so much and so highly that they were so happy that they were there. But it wasn't too long uh, before that sort of faded away. They, they, they began to, um, they weren't very long in that situation until they began to complain about a few things and then it gets worse and worse as time goes on. Over in verse 22 of the same chapter, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea when they went into the 
wilderness of Shur, and they were three days in the wilderness and found no water. Okay, now that'll be a big concern. I mean, I can't go maybe three hours without some water to drink. And here they are three days with no water. And so they're beginning to wonder, you know, okay, that was great. And we had this great worship service, but now where we go from here? What's going to happen to us now that we're out? Three days and, and no water was found. So you know the story about the tree and all of that made the water sweet. And so they were, they were just, you know, beginning to have a little bit of doubt, beginning to have a little bit of concern about where this whole thing was going. Um, obviously, I think any of us would at that point. And so they were complaining about drink. They were complaining about food. And then all of a sudden, God sends the manna, right? He sends the manna. And they, they, the, the word means, what is it? Manna means what? They didn't know what it was. So he told them how to do it and go out and get it and to begin eating it. And they did. And uh, they, even then, they, you know, they were still just not too sure, maybe about this Moses, where this thing was going, and all of that. So we want to take a little bit of a break right here and think about Moses. You all know the story of Moses. It's been in the Bible. If you're a Bible student, you know it well. Saved from death as a baby, obviously. And isn't it interesting that, that powerful men tend to want to remove their enemies, who they might assume is a threat to their power, by ruthless means. Here is uh, Pharaoh telling the midwives to drown the children of Israel. And then they, since they wouldn't drown them, then he said to kill them. But then this one woman, the daughter of Pharaoh, saved Moses, thankfully. Praise the Lord. It's all in his plan, no doubt. And isn't it interesting, though, if you think into the New Testament in uh, Matthew chapter 2, I believe, it is that um, Herod wanted to kill Christ. He sent a team down to that little town kill all the babies under two years old and try to eliminate the threat of someone taking their power. And that was going on here. So Moses, uh, you know, he was leading him. He was, all that happened to him. And we find out that he was educated, very highly educated, as a matter of fact. Uh, he was a statesman. He was trained in all of the learning of Egypt. He was trained as an administrator. He could have been a general in any army in the world. And at 40 years old, I know we've, again, this is stuff that we've been talked about here not long ago, all the 40s with Moses. At 40 years old, he thought that he was ready to launch himself out onto a grand and a glorious career. And he thought the people would understand, but they didn't understand. So just when he was ready, you know, at the prime, we were thinking of a man 40 years old, all that education, all that ability. He was ready to launch out on this, on this career of, you know, saving the people, whatever his, his thought process may have been about them. And then just a few hours, you know, he, uh, all of that was up in smoke. When he killed the Egyptian, buried him in the sand, you know the story. And uh, Pharaoh found out about it. And he took off. If it was ever a picture of a man who was in the prime of life, highly qualified, uh, and a very much of a sense of urgency, filled with the sense of just getting it done, ready to step out in this great career, and then he made, made a very bad mistake and took off for the wilderness, took off for uh, the desert, Moab. And he spent the next 40 years shuffling around his father-in-law's sheep. Not exactly the career path I think Moses had in mind. 
But that's what he wound up doing. And that's what he was doing. Very bad mistake, took off. And uh, the scripture tells us that before he did that, you remember he looked this way and he looked that way and he looked behind him. He didn't see anybody. And he went ahead and he slew the Egyptian. You know what way he forgot to look? He forgot to look up. He forgot to check in with God. He was trying to do God's work man's way. And that's not unusual. We see that sometimes in our own time. So he, he needed to realize that um, he, it wasn't just about his capability. It wasn't all about his education or any of that. What he needed to remember is that um, it's not relationship. As, I mean, it's not the scholarship, rather, as much as it is relationship uh, that qualifies a man or a woman for God's use. So, so here's poor Moses. He's out there. You know, in, the, in this desert with these sheep, and all of a sudden he sees the burning bush. I know we're going through stuff that you know, but it's, it's apropos to what we're talking about in chapter three, which we almost had read by mistake, but it would have worked. <laughs> I told one person chapter three and another 13, we finally got it settled. <laughs> so, anyway, so he, he sees this burning bush, and you know the story there again. It's a, one of the fabled Bible stories in the Bible. What's interesting to me about that story is that he sees this burning bush and he just could have kept on walking, but he didn't. He stopped and he turned aside. And when he looked at the bush, God spoke to him. Not until he turned. Not until he turned and paid attention did God speak to him and tell him, uh, you know, what, was, what the program needed to be. And, and just an amazing story. And he said, you know, Lord, uh, I, who am I uh, to do all this? And the Lord tried to convince him. It took him a while to convince him. He had to get really straight with Moses. Moses, like a lot of the rest of us, he's pretty hard-headed at some point. And he really had to get real straight with him about telling him, you know, I'll be your mouth. I'll give you your brother Aaron to speak for you. And it's not a bad idea to, answer, to ask the question, who am I? As a matter of fact, that's a great question to ask. When you come to worship and serve the Lord, you know, who am I that any of this is, you know, worth suited for any of this? And we're really not, except for the fact that God has chosen folks to do that sort of thing. And so that's what he did. He, he finally just consented to go, and then all this stuff happened in the land of Egypt, and now they're out finally, and they're beginning to complain. Um, and that's just the way wilderness people are. You know, they, they're, they're satisfied to a point or they're sustained to a point. That's another sermon. They're sustained, but they're not satisfied. And so I think a lot of us may be in that same camp, okay? We're sustained spiritually, but there are things that, ah, you know, this comes along, that comes along, and you think, why is this here? You know, maybe what did I do to deserve this? Those kind of questions come into our mind. But these folks had a lot of that going on. They were, God kept them alive, but he never really, you know, satisfied them like they thought he should because the table was laid in Canaan and that's where they should have been headed. And that's where we are headed spiritually. And I trust um, some of us, many of us are there. We'll talk about that more at, as, as we get towards the end here. But God never intended to satisfy them in the wilderness and he doesn't us either. Well, there's, there's things that you know, we need to move on into the spiritual land of Canaan and, and enjoy all the fullness that we have in Christ. Uh, and that's something that we can do. That's something we do do. Then it's not too unusual for us to sort of slip back away from that 
depending on circumstances and situations. But the ideal is that we would be over there. We'll talk more about that. So he gives them the manna. You know, then they, after a while, they don't like that. And they, they're getting tired of manna. And who can blame them? I mean, really, when you think about it, have you, would you like to eat the same meal three times a day for 40 years? No, you wouldn't. You'd get tired of it. So they ask for quail. He gives them quail. Um, you know, they ask for other things, and he provides for them temporarily. But this manna, they got literally sick of it. And again, I think any of us would if that's all we had to eat forever and ever. Amen. But so finally then, you know, he gives them some flesh, and they talk about what's going to be going on with them. But I like the idea that when Moses paid attention, and I, think I need to remember that in my own life because there's times I think when God is nibbling at me or trying to get my attention and I just don't, just don't pay any attention for a while. And then finally when I stop and pay attention, he kind of tells me what the program is and uh, we can move on from that. But it was just quite a thing for them to be in that situation. And then, you know, you can go into numbers and talk about... Um, some of the things that happened to him over there in Numbers and Deuteronomy. Um, like in uh, Numbers 11, chapter, verse 4, it says, Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense, intense cravings. The children of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? So they're, you know, they're just wandering for all that stuff again over there in Egypt. We remember the fish that we ate freely in Egypt and the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. I mean, they're worried about their diet, all right? God had just saved them from the Egyptians through the Red Sea. They're, they're safe away from them. The army's drowned in the sea, and they're talking about their diet. I don't know if we'd be a lot different. But now this whole being, just, now our whole being is dried up. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. So that was, that's what they were thinking about. The people, so then he told them how to do it. They went out and got it, and then that satisfied them for a while. But they just keep going back to, it's okay for a while, then they're ready to go. You know, they, they don't like it anymore. They want to go back. They long for Egypt, which is kind of amazing when you think about it. Uh, but they, they did. They wanted to go back, back into Egypt. <clears throat> so then it was, <clears throat> you remember the story when the, the spies went over into the land? And they were going to go on in. And um, they all came back except two and said, nah, we can't do it. These people are bigger than we are. They're giants compared to us. We're like grasshoppers. And just not, we're just not going to go except Caleb and Joshua tried to encourage them to do, to go on in. But they wouldn't do it. <clears throat> so there, there was a big sort of a hubbub over that. At one point, the people even tried to get Joshua and Caleb stoned for making the uh, case for them going on in. But they didn't do it. So in verse 26 of Numbers 13, it says, So they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh were brought back to the word to them and all the congregation showed them the, the midst of the land. And they told them, they went to the land, flowed with milk and honey, and nevertheless the people who dwell there are big and bad and strong and we can't do it. In our own words, and Caleb quieted them and tried to get them to go. Uh, and, they, and they wouldn't go. Obviously, they stayed. So they wandered around for a lot longer than they would have had to. Then in 14, it says, not only, he says, Moses taught, only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are, this is grasshoppers, 
We talked about that a moment ago. This was Caleb probably trying to get them to go on. And then so finally in Numbers, um, about verse 28 or 9, uh, we hear this <clears throat> from God uh, through Moses. Uh, we'll start at 28. Say to them, this is Numbers 14, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have murmured against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered, according to your number, from 20 years and above, except Caleb, the son of Jethani, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones, whom you say were victims, I will bring in, and they, know, and they shall know the land which you have despised. So there it is. There's a whole generation. Anybody who was 20 years of age or older who went out with them didn't make it into the, to the land of Canaan. God buried them, Ian Thomas would say, where they chose to live. They would not go in, so God said, okay, you're not going in. And he buried one whole generation in the wilderness. And the only ones who went in were those who were above 20, and Joshua and Caleb, at, at, at sort of the end of the story. They actually went into the land of Canaan. Finally, after all that time, well, they made it in. And it's just a sad story in one, in, in one respect, but it was because of their unbelief, the scripture tells us later, um, he also tells us that it's not that far of a journey. Uh, if you look in Deuteronomy, all this is just quickly through the Old Testament about this journey that they're on. If you look in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 1 and verse 2, it says this. It is an 11 days journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. In other words, they could have made it in 11 days. It took them 40 years. Because of their unbelief. Because they, they were, and a phrase that we've come across years ago that sort of fits right here, I think, is they were unbelieving believers. Okay, they had enough faith to get out, but they didn't have enough faith to get in. Including Moses, which is, you know, it's sad, really. We think it was that God dealt really harshly with Moses. He told him to speak to the rock. First time he does, and it comes out. And we need water again. God says, no, he said, strike the rock first time. Second time, he said, speak to the rock. And Moses did what I probably would have done. I was probably, he was so mad probably and hot at them by now. All this rejection of what God's program is. He took his staff and struck it again. And God said, that's it. You're not going in. Now we know, I'll hasten to say, we know that he made it. He was there at the Mount of Transfiguration. So that was great. I was glad to see that that scene actually took place. But he took him up on the mountain over there on the east side, and he said, okay, you can look in, but you're not going in. So the whole generation, except for those who were younger than 20 and those who were born while they were out there, they made it in with Joshua and Caleb, the only two uh, that left with the original crew, made it in. A sad story, and yet, you know, it's there. It's true. And we are thankful when we read the account of Moses making it into the on the Mount of Transfiguration because Moses was such a great man. He really was. I don't mean to disparage him at all, but the truth is what it is, and the Bible tells us clearly that he wasn't going to go in. So they're there at, uh, you know, it was an 11 days journey, and they could have made it right away, uh, basically, uh, walking, but they 
they just piddled around and wouldn't go, wouldn't listen. And they spent 40 years uh, wandering in the wilderness before finally uh, they, he got them in. So we can talk a little bit more about what they did not do in the wilderness. It's obvious they did not believe God. They did not believe God and have enough faith in his promises. We talked about that back in Numbers. What they did do, um, we can find in, Gen- in Deuteronomy, uh, verse, chapter 12, verse 8, towards the end of that verse, it says that every man was doing what was right in his own eyes. Well, we have a lot of that today. A lot of people do what's right in their own eyes and never consider God. So that's what they were doing. They were doing those things that were right in their, in their own eyes. We also know what they thought about in the wilderness. In the wilderness, they thought about uh, Egypt and longed to go back. That was what they were concerned about. Food, what we're going to eat. You know, we should have died. It would have been better for us to die in Egypt, they said at one point. So they would not go in. He brought them out, uh, but they would not go in because they just didn't quite believe that God would provide for them uh, like, they need, like he needed to. So they stayed in the wilderness and they dreamed of Egypt. How sad. And yet that's, that's where they were. That's what they did. They, were, they, stayed, in, they uh, stayed in the wilderness and dreamed of Egypt. They wanted to go back. What they said in the wilderness, you can read in Numbers again. They said a lot, actually. And I encourage you to read it when you get a chance. Uh, but uh, there's a situation here in Numbers that I want to bring to your attention. In the last, in the last, that's the last scripture and next to last. Try and get my eye on it. Let's see, where is that at? <clears throat> there's, a, there's a plague that breaks out among the people got to the point where God was taking some action with them and he uh, sends this plague you know the, you remember the story when the, the, the God said if these men you know die a natural death you'll know that you know they're not they're not rejecting me they're rejecting God and the, and the earth swallowed those men swallowed them up whole and they went down into the pit it says and then there's an account after that where the, the fire breaks out and they send this plague into them, in the midst of them, into the congregation. And I'll just have to go on my own words here unless I get my eye on it here shortly. But uh, Aaron tells Moses, he said, take a censer and put incense on and get down there in the congregation and make an atonement. Uh, and he did. He went down there, he, put, he did what Moses had told him. He went down and ran into the congregation. And it says he stood between the dead and the living. I want you to get a picture of that, okay? There's, wherever they were at, a tent or a building or probably a tent, some of the place where all the congregation was gathered, and the plague had gone out from, from God. He was, he was taking them out. They were, falling like, they were falling like flies, like sheep, like wheat falling down, being harvested, just flipping over. So Aaron takes this censer and he runs into the midst of them and stood between the dead and the living, and the Bible says the plague ceased right there on the spot. And to me, I like to look at that as a picture of Jesus Christ. What does he do? He comes right here to us and he stands between the dead and the living. The offering has been made. The oblation has been made. He's been on, on the cross and died for us. And the plague will cease for you and I when we accept him by faith as our savior. So we stood in the midst. I just, I can't get that scene out of my mind. I've thought about it for years. 
You know, what would that be like to run into this congregation of people that are just falling over like, like cordwood, just falling over? He goes in with the incense, makes the oblation, and it's, and it's stopped on a dime. That's what happened to you and I when we accepted Christ. All that stuff was done away with. We're now saved. We're now in his care and presence. So it's just important for us to think about where we're at on this spiritual journey. We'll get to that maybe here in just a little bit. So that's what was going on. That's what they had to deal with. And God basically buried them in the desert because that's where they chose to live. They didn't want to go on in. So he said, okay, all of you who have hardened your necks and not believe me above a certain age, you're not going in. And as harsh as it is, Moses didn't either because he got angry and struck the rock instead of speaking to it. Sad story, but true. So that's, that's where we see them here. Now, this whole journey of, of this, this whole thing sort of comes to a culmination, if you will, um, with Joshua. Remember, Joshua was one of the two that uh, brought back a good report and tried to get him to go in. Uh, and they wouldn't do it. So there's a needful thing that had to happen here, which is kind of um, interesting to us, at least, in Deuteronomy. And way back over in Deuteronomy chapter 34, uh, we'll begin reading at, oh, we just start at the first verse. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho, and the Lord showed him all the land from Gilead to Dan, all Naphtali and all the land of Ephraim, Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far, to the, as far as the western sea, the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to you, your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there, cross over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died. Deuteronomy 34, verse 5. So, so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him, that being God. He buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. Moses was 121 years old when he died. Notice this, this just really jumped out at me a long time ago. His natural, see, uh, Moses, eyes, Moses' eyes were not dim. His natural vigor abated. No, no words that it abated. So here he is, he's 121 years old, he has clear sight, he's strong. Apparently there's nothing wrong with Moses, okay? That's the idea here. He's not sick. He wasn't decrepit. He wasn't failing in any way that we know of by, from the scripture. And God somehow took him out because it was time for the children of Israel to go in and he wasn't taking them in. God had made that clear to him. So he died right then and there and God buried him and nobody knows where his grave's at, obviously for good reason because if, if they did, they would no doubt made a big shrine and, and by now it'd probably be a tourist attraction for sure. So this grave was unknown, but we know he died, and we know he died before he got into the land. So then Joshua, I'll just wrap this on up here a little bit with Joshua. Joshua takes them in in the first chapter, and I, I've marveled at the, ep the epitaph that God gave Moses. He could have called Moses 
any number of things, you know, built him up, you know, left his reputation, you know, unmarred, and it is actually anyway, but all he says about them is he's a servant of the Lord. That's, that's the only comment that God makes about Moses. And I thought about that. You know, you see, you know, when men pass, and sad as it is, and there's usually eulogies, and they, they get some nice words said about them, which is fine. I'm not against any of that. But all God said about Moses was the servant of the Lord. That was it. And he was gone. <clears throat> his, his, his time was up, and he was gone. And then in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, I know I've hit you with a lot of scripture here today. I like to encourage you to go back and read through it. It's an amazing story. After the death of Moses, Joshua chapter one, verse one, the servant of the Lord, it came to, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, here he says it again, Moses, my servant, is dead, period. He didn't say, much about, about what, a, what a great guy he was, you know. Uh, he was saved when he was young. He, was, he didn't, none of that. Moses, my servant, is dead, period. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, to the land which I'm giving to them and the children of Israel. And so, so Joshua takes them in. Um, no doubt a great time of celebration. We can read about that again. When there's one more scripture uh, that we'll sort of bring this to a close with here in just a moment. But it's in um, chapter 5, and you can read all of, you know, beginning of verse 9, clear through verse 15, we won't read all of that, but it's all really good about, you know, and verse 12 says the manna ceased on the third day after they went in, because they had other things to eat, like grapes and grain, whatever had been planted before. They didn't need manna anymore. I'm sure they were happy about that, those that made it in. And then in verse 13 of Joshua chapter 5, we read this account. And, and to me, this is, uh, it cap recaptures me every time I read it. Verse 14 of Joshua 5. So we said, no, but that, no, no, we'll get it at 13, sorry. And it came to pass when Joshua was, was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with the sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? We'll stop right there for a moment. A logical question. If you're a commander, and if you see this guy over there, this person over there with the big sword in his hand, you're going to want to know if he's for you or for the adversary. You're going to want to know, you know, what am I going to need, Lord, to, to whip this guy, in my own words? What's it going to take here to be victorious in this situation? So Joshua just asked him. He said, are you for us or for adversaries? And then in verse 14, so he said, No. But as a commander of the army of the Lord, have I now come. Amen. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth, worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servants? So right here we recognize this was just not any other man. This was probably, in my opinion, a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. Where he says here, you know what, Joshua? And here again in my own words, um, he got it all wrong. And he says here um, in verse 13, the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place you stand on, the place you stand is holy ground. And Joshua did so. Okay. So in my own words, what's going on here is Joshua's talking to this guy who he needs to know <laughs> what side he's on, who's going to fight for this battle, this town. 
And the guy says, the, the angel of the Lord says, nope, you got it all wrong, Joshua, my own words. I didn't come to take sides. I came to take over. As the captain of the Lord's host, I've now come. Joshua recognizes who he was, says, what does my Lord say to his servant? Basically, he says, take your shoes off, for your standing is holy ground. Bible tells us Joshua did so. Isn't that so simple and so neat and true? So when you're in the land, you listen to your captain, and you do what you're told. Simple. But not that simple to put into our actual life and experience because we're still here on the earth. We still have things to deal with. We still have troubles, difficulties, ailments, families, death. I mean, all of that is stuff that we have to deal with. But while we're on this journey from Egypt through the wilderness and into the land, it's important that we listen to the captain and we do what we're told. As difficult as that might be for us at times, particularly in the face of some tragic events, and we've had a few here. We've had a few in our lifetime this year. This year we've had a lot of friends and family that passed away in 2023. All of them believers, so we're happy about that. We know that they're where they're at, but you know, you just have to kind of regroup and say, okay, you know, none of us know. We may not make it out the doors today for that matter. So we serve a great and mighty God. And when again, when you're in the land, you listen to your captain and you do what you're told, just like Joshua did. So that brings me uh, to the last little thing I wanted to share with you tonight or today. And that's just a question that we all have to ask ourselves, and you don't have to answer to me in your own mind and between you and the Lord. The question I have for myself and all of you is just simply this. Where do you live? What's your address? What's your address? There are probably people here today uh, who do not know the Lord. And if that's true of you, please come and join us. If, you, if the Lord's tugging on your heart today, talk to somebody. We'd love to have you join us in the household of faith with Christ's children, God's children. But there are people who are still in the wilderness. There are people who are still, I mean, in, in Egypt, some are in the wilderness, still kind of struggling with this whole thing. Sustained, as it were, but maybe not satisfied. Maybe there's something that you're, you're not tasting, you're not seeing, you're not feeling. Uh, maybe that comes and goes. I think it does with me. I kind of joggle around in that whole thing. So are you in the wilderness today? Or... And there's probably some here who have made the trip. They've crossed over, and they're now in the land of Canaan, which is a spiritual land. By the way, the land of Canaan is not heaven, okay? They fought battles in heaven. You'll hear some people type out heaven to Canaan. Canaan's on the earth. There's even a scripture that says so. Unfortunately, I didn't look it up. But Canaan is on the earth, not in heaven. So we're going to fight difficulties and battles here. So with all that in mind, we still have the opportunity to... Listen to the captain and do what you're told. Or we can, go, we can go back and maybe step back across the line over into the wilderness for a while and be dissatisfied and wondering what in the world is this all about? Why is this happening to me? And on and on. And we do. It's a part of life. So our encouragement for myself and all of you is not to spend any more time than we have to in the wilderness and to move on over into Canaan and to begin to enjoy all the grapes of Eshcol, all the, all the old corn, all the stuff that's planted there for us, freely, for us to receive uh, in Christ. Amen. And there again, you know, um, I'm not saying that I'm someplace and you're not, because we're, <laughs> we're all in the same boat here. 
But the encouragement we have is for us to continue to move on towards and on into the land of Canaan and be done with, with all, of the, all the ruminations that go along with people who are still in the wilderness. And particularly if you're in Canaan, I mean in Egypt. Remember we said at the very beginning, it's God's desire for his people to do what? To get out of Egypt, to leave sin and bondage. And then to begin to live life for, through, and with him. And eventually, uh, just find yourself, you know, enjoying, if you will. And I, I like to say it this way. Just enjoying all the fullness of Christ. And I think that's within our reach. That's something that we can, we can do. It's something we can have and enjoy. And it's our prayer that we will do that more and more as we move on here for him. And as you do that, you know, you'll be attractive to people. They'll see that in you. They'll want to know, you know, how do you do that? How do you face uncertain times? How do you face medical issues that you have no control over? How do you face death of loved ones? How do you do that and still maintain, you know, your faith? And maybe not your happiness, but your joy in the Lord. For a while, we're all down. It's part of life. But it's our encouragement for myself and for all of you to uh, make the journey and to stay and to listen and then do what you're told. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your spirit and that lives in each of us who know you. We thank you for the gentle promptings that we have from time to time to, to walk out our flesh, walk out our faith, excuse me, walk out our faith. May our words match our talk, Father, and our talk match our walk. Just live more over there and less in the wilderness. And those with us who might be today, they're in Egypt. We pray for them. They're all around us who do not know you as our Savior. May you cause them, Father, to seek your face and they'll turn into the offered terms of mercy and become one of your chosen people and begin their own spiritual journey. And we thank you in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.